Hey, Outliers, we're back with Addie Lerner of Avid Ventures for a quick bonus interview. In this short episode, Addie shares a few of her secrets to success, including her fundamental belief that investing is a privilege and how that informs her work, how she manages her time by limiting the number of meetings she takes each day, her experience working with her coach, Tim Porthouse, and a lot more. Let's dive in. Okay, so switching over to the kind of personal side of the equation, I wanted to start first with I think you're obviously in a very interesting position in that you've had this deep experience at a number of different top-tier firms. You then go out and found your own firm. And I know that a part of that is obviously you're now in the seat with your partner of deciding things like, what's the culture we want to have internally in terms of how we work together? What's the culture we want to have externally when we work with the companies that we've invested in or in meeting and diligencing? Talk a little bit about how you've thought about that and how you think about what is super important to the two of you about getting right at Avid. This is something we've put a lot of thought into because it was a critical piece of why I wanted to start a new firm. It's a critical piece of when I'm sitting there at GC and not planning to start a new firm, but thinking about, okay, someday if I did, this is what I think I would do differently. I've had the privilege of seeing a lot of different firms and cultures during my career and sort of wanting to pick and choose the best of them, but also seeing things I didn't love that I wanted to innovate on. And a lot of it had to do with culture. First things first, I think you have to really love the people you work with. doesn't mean they have to be your best friends, but I think you just have to have a really stellar working relationship. And I'm incredibly fortunate to have that with Tali. And that's why as we sort of bring on or look to bring on our third teammate, we think that personality fit, we think that working style fit is going to be so critical for us, especially as a small team. I think a key part of our culture will be even as Avid hopefully grows and gets bigger and raises future funds and grows the team to really remain quite lean and horizontal. I think bureaucracy and growth for the sake of growth can really be a culture killer. And it's the fastest way to lose your best and brightest and upcoming talent. Because with size just ultimately comes hierarchy and process. And that's the, I think, fastest way to stifle innovation and to stifle the development of younger talent. So one thing that's really important to me and Tali, even though she is relatively younger in her career, is just remembering what it was like to be in some of those situations when I was like, I'm going to do this differently. And I'm not always perfect at that, but I really tried to create in our processes and in our culture code and in our set of values elements that I think will create a very different kind of internal culture and where younger and junior talent is really able to thrive. That's incredible. I wanted to ask as well too, That last question was obviously focused on how you kind of operate internally. Now, switching over to the kind of founder side of the equation, something I was curious, and this again is somewhat of a shot in the dark because I don't know how much you've thought about this or maybe in these terms, but I'm curious when you're meeting founders, when you're deciding what founders to invest in, how do you think about non-negotiable traits or characteristics? And those could either be things where you're like, could be on a personal level, could be on a values level, could be on how they engage with you as a potential investor. So somewhat broad question, but curious if there's anything there that's interesting. We think about this a lot. So just taking a step back, actually, the founders are the number one reason we're going to invest in a company. And that's why we talk about not just our portfolio companies, but like our portfolio founders, and even on our portfolio page, it's like the founders' faces there. I love that. Or bigger than the logos. And so for us, we think a lot about the framework of what we're looking for in a founder, enough guidelines that we have sort of a great framework to evaluate folks on, but broad enough that we're never typecasting and that we're never sort of going to miss phenomenal talent because they don't sort of check exactly our boxes. And the fifth 
of five sort of pieces of our framework is basically, is this a good person? And to us, that means a number of things. One, is it someone who just has incredibly high integrity, is transparent, who we can trust, nothing sort of fishy is ever going to go on. Are they someone who people really enjoy being around and working with? That also comes into play on sort of the, are they a talent magnet point? But it's more important of just like, do people really respect them and want to work with them? And then also an element of it is, what are interactions like when we first meet the founder? Are they sort of a founder who's very full of themselves, who feels like he's or she are doing us a favor by getting on the phone with a brand new firm? Or are they someone who are truly sort of eager to get to know us, especially if it was through a warm introduction. And a lot of the early relationship with the founder, we sort of evaluate and think about, is this someone we want to work with? Is this someone we want to spend time with? And where we think that our help and value add is actually going to be valued. Another big piece of this is loyalty, both for just we think it's a really important trait in a founder and and someone you're going to back when there's probably a decade of work ahead of you. Also for our investment strategy, is this a founder who, when we're super explicit and upfront about our intention and hope to put a much bigger check into the next round, is this a founder who, even though it's not a contractual right, is going to say, yeah, if you guys do the work and earn that privilege as you talk about, I'm going to want you to do that and then deliver on it. And so I think there's a lot of ways you can sort of diligence that, look at how a founder's treating his or her insider investors in that round in which we're investing is often a good signal. But there's certainly been instances, early conversations with founders where the business can be amazing. We think it's going to be an incredible company, but we just get a bad taste from the founder and we've passed. And then there's certainly like red flags. Well, for others, they might be orange flags, but for us, an orange flag is a red flag. So we'll certainly pass for those reasons as well. Just maybe one follow-up question on that. So Every investor, whether it's explicit or not, has some sort of stack rank of like, we're underwriting the person first, then the team, then the product. What does that stack rank look like for you? Even just the top two to three kind of items in it. Are you asking specifically on the founder criteria or overall investment? No, I think just zooming out now, if that's one of the things that you have to check a box on, and it sounds like that's at the end of the day, you're largely writing checks, or at least a major input into that decision is the founder. What are the kind of second and third order things that are also important to you? It does really start and end with the founder so much. But that said, we're also looking for the sort of product. What are, And that for us relates to market. What's the need for this product in this market? Is this solving a real pain point? Is this a really big market opportunity for this product? And then that ties to our evaluation, of course, of like, what's the upside here? Is there a big enough sort of upside case? And then if those two sort of check the boxes, we also really care a lot about, is this a space that we either do have a point of view or perspective on, or is it one that we can get up to speed really quickly enough and sort of underwrite what we do know and don't know sufficiently to make that bet. And then finally, we do care. We're not totally valuation insensitive. We do care about what the deal dynamic is. And then again, how that fits into what we think the upside could be and what we think a double down check could come in to. I want to ask a couple of questions more just around you and the kind of habits and routines you have each day. And you made one kind of point earlier that I loved, and I don't know if you use the word superpowers, but you talked about knowing your innate strengths. And I love when people use that language and think about things in that way, because I think for most people, that's still somewhat uncomfortable is knowing both their strengths and their weaknesses, but being proud of those strengths and really leaning into those strengths. So I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about your innate superpowers and how you've developed those and kind of shaped what Avid is and how you end up investing around those kind of superpowers that you have? I'd say one's probably more qualitative and one is a little more quantitative. The qualitative one is, I think it's my authenticity, which is the trait that I think underlies my ability to very quickly connect with a founder or a co-investor 
or an investor. And that's so important because in this business, you have what these days, a 30 minute Zoom to leave yeah, an impression. Very little. Yeah, very little. And personally, I think my sort of personality, it's well, everyone's, but my personality, it shows up 2D on a 2D screen. I'm taking every in-person meeting now that I can or that people take with me. But I think it is that energy that I can bring to a first meeting. I sort of, And this is actually advice I give to folks who I think are still coming out of their shells or who are earlier in their careers, maybe worked at a large bank and are still finding their personality, is I sort of give the advice of, okay, in a first meeting with a founder, just pretend you've known them for two months and you've already had four meetings. Like this is meeting five. How would you act? And I think it's such a good mindset shift to just realize that if you can sort of authentically act that way with someone immediately, like they'll feed on those vibes and you can sort of like skip all the small talk and get to know you and really like test out, does this feel right? Not the get to know you phase, but the sort of deep relationship, working relationship phase. I think it can also be to just like, I guess, come on strong in terms of really feeling like you know someone immediately. It can be kind of disarming. And I think that that's helped me stand out a bit as an investor someone who's skipping the formalities, skipping the back and forth, but just like jumping in with real meaty questions and feedback. So that's one. And I think that's some of the micro examples of how it shows up. But I think that that ability has served me sort of in all elements of being an investor and now a founder myself. And I think the other is my analytical framework and mindset. I take that to everything from investing and also decision points as we talked about. But I think my ability to be a real optimist and be able to see and believe the dream, but then also verify it and really analyze it and make sure I'm sort of poking holes and feeling comfortable with the downside is also a real skill of mine. And then I have the last one. I mean, maybe this is a commodity, but it's funny. People will often tell me this is a superpower of mine and I'm sort of like, yeah, 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 but it's table stakes. But I have to remind myself to pat myself on the back for it frequently is I'm incredibly hardworking. It doesn't feel like hard work because of how much I care and how much I want Avid to succeed and my companies to succeed. But I will put in the hours and it doesn't feel like it because it's something that motivates me so much. And so that's something that I feel like I have just an insane privilege to be able to be doing what I love. That's something I encourage folks to try and find and make sure they feel in their careers too. Love those answers. I want to go back to something that you said and maybe ask if you can elaborate on it a little bit, which was that you still think, which I would agree is not typically the way people kind of think of it or approach it, that investing in a company is a privilege. And that obviously, if you're framing it that way, if you're thinking about it that way, you're going to approach it very differently. I'd love to explore a little bit of why and how did you get there? And why do you think that that's so different than how most people are kind of engaging? Absolutely. And I'll take it back to, like I just said, I think this whole job is such a privilege. When you think about it and zoom out, you get to work with and spend time with the smartest people in our industry, in in the world on a daily basis. You get to explore brand new ideas and industries. You oftentimes get to do that over like delicious meals and like drinks that your firm is covering or paying for. So it's a really privileged lifestyle. That said, it's shocking to me how candidly rude I think folks can be in this industry and probably often without meaning to. Emails can go totally unanswered, follow-throughs get totally forgotten. But the number of times I hear from founders, my own founders, that investors who seemed so interested a week ago didn't just pass, but just ghosted, it's shocking to me. And to me, that just comes back down to very basic manners. And I'm pretty sure most folks in this industry were brought up with very proper manners, but there's something I think that gets perverted 
in the daily grind, in the hundred emails in your inbox an hour, and candidly leaning into the privilege in a different way when shifting from believing it's a privilege to get to do what we do to having an entitlement in it, that how you treat people in this industry, it's sort of you give yourself a pass for treating them not so well. And that's something we wanted to do very differently at Avid, both with our founders, certainly, and potential founders, but also just with our co-investors and with talent. And Tolly's often pushing me and I'm sort of like, oh, but we didn't reply to that email and the someone's cold email from the info at avidventures.com this week. And Tolly's like, all right, Addy, like... There are limits to that mentality if you want to get anything done for sure. But we try and set those limits like at the very, very edge. And we try and follow through on everything we promise founders. And that's why I think it's been relatively easy to exceed expectations is maybe because expectations from others have been so low to begin with checks out with my experience as well too. It seems like some people approach it very transactionally where if there's something there, if they're not going to get out of the transaction, then they just disengage and a switch gets flipped. And I think there are others that are playing a different game. Maybe you could say it's a much more long-term game (laughs) that are approaching it a little bit differently. And what's crazy to me is I don't think that those humans were raised as transactional humans. It's just very strange how this industry, I think, can turn people into very transactional operators. And so the first thing is, I think, just having an awareness of it. And so when our mantra is that investing in a startup is a privilege to be earned, it really helps us remember every day how lucky we are to be doing this job and to be serving our founders. I love that. There's one question I always love asking people, and you might not think about it in these terms, but something I think a lot about is, What are the things that I can do each day? What are the things I do each day that just help me show up as my best self? And I think especially in a job like being a venture capitalist where so much of the job is interacting with people. So you really are showing up and someone may have a little bit of background or context, but not a whole lot. And a lot of the business happens on first impressions and subsequent impressions. So are there a handful of things that you focus on nailing each day or doing each day that you think help you show up as your best self at work? Yes. And I've had to evolve these and really focus on these, especially as I've certainly become a founder and fund manager myself. And then also as our portfolio has grown from zero to 14. The different hats. (laughs) Yeah, lots of hats. I'll say three really important things for me. And there's a lot I try to focus on. One is I try and limit the number of meetings I'm doing in a day so that I can fully show up for whoever I'm talking to. (laughs) I went through a few like 12 back-to-back Zoom days and literally I couldn't visually focus on anything. I was fried. So my EA and I, oh, that's another one. Get yourself an amazing EA who's really a thought partner. My EA and I just sort of made a new rule and rejiggered my schedule so that I would have no more than six meetings in a day. And if a meeting had to be scheduled on a day that already had six, we had to swap something out. At first, I was really guilty about the swapping out of a meeting or canceling on someone. But something my coach said that I realized was probably really true is if you're not going to show up as your best self for that meeting, it's going to be a waste of the other person's time. And so they're better served by you showing up on a day that you can be fully present. So that's one. And I really try and create that time to actually do proactive thinking work and to really recharge so I can be my full extroverted self in those six meetings. And then the next one relates to my executive coach. I love working with my coach. His name's Tim Porthouse. I highly recommend him for anyone who wants to check him out. He has just up-leveled me in ways that I hadn't realized would be possible. It's I joke, but actually mean it. Avid wouldn't exist without him or the work we've done because I really had to learn extremely fast a lot of new things I'd never done before and I had to take risks and bet on myself and what he does and what good coaches do is they really help you identify your blind spots and the whole point of a blind spot is you can't find it yourself so I think having that sort of 
mirror held up to me constantly, having Tim push me to be my absolute best self, investor, fund manager, partner is a really critical part of sort of my weekly routine and really revisiting our homework frequently too. And then the last one I'll say is is really for my mental health, but working out, I really try and work out five times a week, do it in the morning, puts me in such a good mood and headspace for the rest of the day. And it's, I think it can be so hard and I don't even have kids yet. I can only imagine how much harder it gets to squeeze that in. But I look at it not just as a sort of indulgence or thing I need to be doing personally, but as a a sort of investment in myself and being my best self, showing up as my best self for my founders. Great, thoughtful answers. I want to ask you one more thing, which kind of relates back to approaching the job as a privilege and then making sure that you're dotting all those T's, crossing all those I's, just not letting stuff fall through the cracks, which is just generally, how do you think about and or do you have a system? And I'm sure your EA plays into a big part of it, but just managing all the things you have to do in a given day or in a given week. Any advice for other investors, other people there? Oh my gosh, so much, so much (laughs) advice. And I'm still, I'm taking all the advice I can get here. (laughs) So I have a few practical things and then I have just like one bigger observation and takeaway. Actually, I'll start with that because I think that's more interesting. So this is something I've worked on with Tim recently, which is as I started becoming the founding partner of Avid, I had to go through a career shift and a real shift in my mentality from, we call it Addie 1.0, where nothing could fall through the cracks. The reason I was so good at my job at Goldman and GA and GC was because everything got done. I worked extremely hard at making sure everything happened was done very well and nothing fell through the cracks. And the attention to detail was a critical part of my success. As Addy 2.0, as the founder and managing partner of Avid, actually my job now is to let things fall through the cracks. My job now is to focus on what are the most important things in any given day, week, month, or quarter, and just focus maniacally and dedicate all of my energy and attention to executing those things really, really well. And then working with exceptional folks like Tali or Rebecca to help me make sure things don't actually fall through the cracks. And so related to that come some of the practical tips, which are every morning I have in my calendar, and I use my calendar as my to-do list too, sort of that Cal invite or to-do item, which is what are the three things that have to happen today? And those don't have to be like the big picture, like discover the next multi-billion dollar category to invest in, although I probably should have that on there more often than not. But it also could be things like repay the capital call line or the admin things that can't or shouldn't fall through the cracks. But by looking at it on sort of this daily basis and tying it back to my quarterly and annual OKRs and making sure that the three most important things I'm doing that day are more often than not helping me fulfill those quarterly goals, it's a really helpful way to remind myself to focus on what matters most and remember that everything else can and probably should be falling through the cracks. For anyone listening, I'm over here just writing notes feverishly, <laughs> remembering, <laughs> trying to remember as much of this as I can. I think this episode is going to create a lot of clips because there's a lot of amazing stuff here. It's a fantastic answer. I have two other questions that I ask. One of them is going to be kind of an easy softball, but one of my favorite questions to ask people is just for a favorite failure. And that can be for you an investment or a founder that you backed that it doesn't matter that it went to zero because you got so much out of being involved. It can be something in your personal life, but just something that for you, you don't view as a failure and that you've taken away a lot from. Oh man. I've tried to like lock all those away in a little bit. I'm sure. <laughs> no, just kidding. It's their part of personal growth. I'll talk about an investment failure that's been 
a tough one that was sort of at the point in my career to really sort of mentally approach or handle. And that's our early investment at Avid in The Wing. And The Wing is a company that I got to know during my time at General Catalyst. We looked at investing in the Series C that Sequoia led. I got to know the founders. They became really great friends and even actually started advising me as I built Avid. And then The Wing became our second investment in the fund three weeks before COVID hit. And as a business that was at that point, revenues were entirely reliant on memberships for the physical spaces. The Wing had 10 spaces in multiple geographies, including London at that point. COVID just totally shut down the business. And it's been a very tough path for the company. And they ultimately took a majority investment from IWG, which is the parent company of Regis, which is actually, I think, a great partner for the business because they're going to help them expand the physical locations in multiple geographies. And coming out of COVID, I'm personally quite bullish on co-working as a yeah great enablement of remote work. And I think community is more needed than ever. So I've been super excited as the wing locations have even reopened in New York. The learnings from that experience and why I ultimately don't consider it a quote failure. And by the way, the company is still very much a going concern. So failure might be a bit harsh for this one, but it was a really tough one as coming out of our first close, still having a lot of the fundraise to go and already having a company that went from sizable revenues to overnight zero revenues and leadership challenges in the middle of that was really tough to face. But I'm extremely proud that right as COVID hit, Avid and I were able to get involved with the company. And actually their CFO was out on maternity leave at the time. And so I got very involved with the board and with the founders and the team on actually acting like this outsourced CFO and helping to lead a lot of the scenario modeling work, understanding what cash runway looked like, drawing down on the debt facility, just thinking about the various options. And first of all, it felt very good to be doing something and to be quite helpful with the business. But it also was a really important lesson. I think being an investor is not just about when things are ripping and going really well, but it's about how do you show up? Do you show up and how do you show up when things are really tough? And so my relationship with the founders remains extremely strong. I think it was a really good sort of case study for how Avid shows up when things don't happen as you think they will. My investors have been really fantastic about it because it's not all investments are going to work out. And we all very much still believe in the original investment thesis and the potential of what the wing is building. And so I'm excited to see what happens in the years to come. I think it's a great answer. Especially, it also seems to me like it's, you can clearly point to that story again, as it's a reflection of the fact that you are investing and viewing investing as a privilege because you're a partner in that company. And even when things don't go well, that means you need to show up and support the team and know why you invested in the first place. Okay. Last question. What is your definition of success? And maybe this is something you've worked on with your coach. Maybe this has changed in this phase of life. It can be anything, but what is your definition? So my definition of success is making an impact on the world quite broadly and those around me, my immediate family and community. And for me, that hopefully means showing up in multiple different capacities as an investor, as a partner, as a family member, and being my best self and really helping to up-level the folks around me. So I think my definition of success of having an impact at that highest level probably certainly stems from some of my earlier in life interests in public or international policy. How do you create change? And as we started the conversation talking about For me, I want to create as much impactful change as possible, as quickly as possible. And that for me was through the private sector and specifically through venture capital. 
So that's why I think I can actually achieve success in that role. Obviously, a huge piece, well, of some folks' definitions of success is financial success. And I think that's very important to me too. I think anyone in venture capital would probably be lying to themselves if they said that making money wasn't important. Making money is important to me and a part of success for a number of reasons, but also because of, I think, what you can do when you do have a lot of capital. It enables you to do a lot personally and for your family. I'm part of a sort of generation or part of generations where every successive generation has been able to achieve what they've been able to achieve because their parents, that prior generation, sacrificed and really up-leveled their own position sort of in society in America. And so being able to give that on to my children is really important. But also what you can do philanthropically with capital is extremely important to me as well. So again, I just feel super lucky that I get to sit in this seat and seemingly have an impact already. But I have big visions for what success looks like and being able to do that in multiple of the ways I just mentioned in the future. That is the perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for the time, Addie. This has been one of my favorite interviews by far. Oh, thank you, Daniel. You ask fabulous questions. It's been really wonderful to chat with you as well. If you haven't already, listen to episode 36 to hear more from Addie Lerner of Avid Ventures. For links to everything we discussed, as well as our notes and takeaways from the episode, visit outlieracademy.com slash 36. At outlieracademy.com, you can also find more conversations with incredible guests like Scott Belsky, Kevin Kelly, Erling Kage, Paula Ferris, and Mark Sisson. You can also sign up for our free weekly newsletter, Outlier Debrief, where every week on Friday, we share a few highlights from the latest episode, along with a few of our favorite books, articles, headlines, and moments from that week. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you right here next week.